You should say hello, I'm Darren. You can switch roles. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Filling in the Gaps. I'm Justin. I'm Darren. Today, we're going to talk about a, well, a very interesting film called Lost Highway. This movie comes all the way back from 1997. And I think both of us would agree that we had seen it, but <laughs> barely remembered it, which is kind of fitting for the theme of Lost Highway. This is written and directed by David Lynch, but also written by Barry Gifford. It is two hours and 14 minutes. Let's do a quick rundown of the ratings. IMDb has it at 7.6, which is not bad. Metacritic has it at 52, but there are really only 21 reviews that it's basing it off of. So I don't know, there's a point where Metacritic is nice because you can look at the individual reviews, but it doesn't always seem to have the numbers to give a good overall for, right. for what's going on. Rotten Tomatoes, critics were at 60% positive, and the audience was 87% positive. It does look like some of the reviews are... Uh, I know we've talked about this before, how does it work? It looks like some of the reviews, the dates from them, from the critics are coming back from like 2000 and and earlier. So they must be somehow going back and getting some of those old ones or those critics are posting them to Rotten Tomatoes, like posting all their old stuff. Again, I'm not exactly sure, but the critic number was very small, whereas the audience number was huge. So I think this is, again, a time where I'm not sure that that's a very accurate score because I feel like the people who love the movie are the ones going back and leaving the review. And the ones who didn't like it, probably are not making the effort. This movie has a lot of people you will probably recognize. (laughs) Right off the bat, we have Bill Pullman. We have Patricia Arquette. Henry Rollins plays as As a guard. guard. There's even Richard Pryor is in there for a bit. I totally forgotten that. I was like, what, he's in this too? Yeah, when I saw that in the opening credits, totally forgotten all about that. You have Robert Loggia. As well as just a number of other people you're probably going to recognize when you see them. Who's he? Mr. Eddie. Oh, I just put he's the Independence Day guy that was with Bill Pullman before. <laughs> that is true. I was thinking about how Bill Pullman went from this to being the President of the United yeah. States. But <laughs> yeah, Robert Loja went from being a fairly shady character in this one. To the, yeah, a general. <laughs> <laughs> Soundtrack. There's a lot that I'll let you talk about with that, but the incidental music is, again, as often with David Lynch, Angelo Badalamenti, and it, it fits very well. It's really good, yeah. No, no, it's, it's, we can talk about the soundtrack at the end if we've got time. No, we can talk about it now. The soundtrack is one of the driving forces behind why people got into this movie. Yeah, because I remember, again, I was probably in Blockbuster at this time when this movie came out, and we would uh, just take the CDs for the soundtracks and play them in the shop and stuff. Lost Highway was always one that got played. Yeah, it's got a lot of... Um, well, let's just check that at the end. So, I mean, the movie opens with a Bowie song, which was pretty cool. It's got Nine Inch Nails, it's got Smashing Pumpkins, Lou Reed, Marilyn Manson, Rammstein. It's got a ton of really cool music, which really fits this movie well because it's all very dark. Like you said, the actual score of the movie is really good in itself. But yeah, that was included on the CD. They didn't release it as like, soundtrack and score that was all together it was all together yeah but um, it worked very well yeah and the way that they organized the tracks as well just it worked very well it wasn't like here's your songs by people you know and here's the score for the movie yeah, here's all the rest it was intermixed very well you could just like you said listen to it over and over again yeah but i know and also marlon manson is actually in the movie too that he is yeah surprisingly <laughs> as far as the movie it's very difficult to explain because it is a David Lynch film. Although, this, I think this is one of his easier ones to, to do. Quite possibly. Because watching it now, we'll get into all this at the end, but watching it now, I felt that I had much better. I was way off bounds, I think, my first time watching this. Because I watched it, I just let the movie kind of <clears throat> wash over me. I had some mad, mad theories. And this time I was like, no, no, actually, this is quite a straightforward Lynch movie. I think I get it. It is. There's some things that... I mean, there's don't, definitely some, there's things, some that things that don't work of course. under speculation, even minor speculation. And so we will talk about that. I'll obviously throughout 
our description of the movie, we'll get to some of it, but that's definitely something I want to get to right at the end. We can't obviously discuss that now because this is still the spoiler-free section. How would we recommend it, though, to people without giving anything away? I don't know. Is, is it a, a thriller? A, a murder mystery, I guess? Uh, In a way. Kind of. It's a slow movie. It is a very slow movie. And it wasn't slow at the beginning. I was like, wow, this movie's, this movie's really motoring. And then it got to that midway section. It's like, ooh, wow, wow this is slow. <laughs> and that's definitely some of the critics that I uh, did, did they look at. The they were saying that the first half seems amazing. Like well and then it suddenly becomes something different and feels slow. Yeah, I agree. I think that there's something to that. I think also just the fact that we aren't really given answers or much story, much motivation after that halfway point. I will say, though, I think that when you get to the end, it is well worth it. So if you're going to watch it, make it all the way through, even if at times it is slow. For recommendation, I would say if you like some of the other movies that we have talked about, the Cronenberg films, this is not going to be as crazy as that, but it is still going to be a world that is our world, but abstract, different. Lynch does this very well. If you like the use of color in movies that seems very specific and, you know, done on purpose, I think that this movie is for you. If you want movies that you need to kind of interpret a bit yourself or that require a bit of thought, this is one for you. It's not going to be a comedy. It's not really going to... Honestly, it's just not going to fit any genre that yeah. <laughs> I, I could think of. <laughs> I think you could say that it would fit under the sci-fi fantasy, perhaps. That's part of just being an abstract, surreal-type world. But really, it's, it, as I said, it's kind of one that defies genre. So if that at all sounds interesting to you, I would definitely recommend it. There are some really good performances in here, some great visuals. It's worth a shot. And with that, let's get into the spoiler section. We're going to open with a shot of headlights going very fast in the night down the middle of a highway or just a road. <laughs> yeah. We're going to see this shot many times throughout the movie. And again, at the end, we are going to open with, as we say in America, a Bowie song. Yeah. <laughs> so David Bowie is singing. I think, is it the same song at the beginning and at the end? Yeah. Yep. So we are in the spoiler section. That's very important. Because the whole movie, in a way, is cyclical. I thought that the first time I watched it, too. I disagree now. Do you? Yeah. Okay, interesting. Uh, we'll get to that, I guess. Yeah, definitely. First time I watched this, I was like, oh, yeah, this is like, I wrote down somewhere in my notes here. I was like, this is a whole, it's a, it's a Mobius strip of a movie that flips around on itself and just repeats for eternity. I don't think that anymore. I do think it does. I think that there is more to it after. Mm -hmm. But I think that the section we see does in some way loop itself. Okay. When we get into the movie, Fred Madison, who is played by Bill Pullman, mm -hmm. is smoking in the dark. Some sort of like door opens or curtain opens and he's just bathed in light. The intercom buzzes. A voice says, Dick Laurent is dead. When he walks around long distance in his huge house to the window, he doesn't see anybody. And that's how the movie begins. Now, I will say, I watched a 15-minute video I found on YouTube, mm -hmm. interview with David Lynch, talking about this movie probably more than he ever talks about any of his work. There are a few specific things he says in it, which are very, very interesting. And one of them is, this actually happened to him. Oh, really? It was like early morning, the intercom came on, and so he said, David, is this you? And he said, yes. And he said, Dick Laurent is dead. And by the time he could walk around to look out the window, no one was there. Someone playing a joke on him or something like that? Well, I think in the interview he said that his neighbor is also David, so perhaps they had the wrong house or something. Oh, okay. <laughs> he said, I, had no, I had no idea who this person is. And I think that that's just very interesting that this was a real-life occurrence that kind of mm. happened to him. In fact, they couldn't find a house with the right kind of dimensions to make that work. But what they ended up doing was buying this house on the cheap and remodeling it so they can make that work. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Because none of the places they found had that right setup where you would have to walk over to the window from the intercom far enough for it to give somebody time to get away, basically. Right. It fades to black. This movie's going to fade to black a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that it's 
partly to confuse us or to keep us guessing as to what's going on. Sometimes it's just a hard cut, like a chapter would be in a book. And sometimes it's to say it's night. I feel like he's used it many ways here rather than it's just very jarring because it doesn't have the smooth transitions or the B-roll shots to introduce us to a scene. We fade to black and we're immediately into the next scene. It's very jarring. It's very David Lynch doing what he wants to do, not what everybody else would tell him to do. Yeah, because there's points in this where it does that fade to black. I had to rewind and go, wait, is he still wearing the same clothes? Because I wanted to know if time had passed or not. I was like, oh, no, no, this is just like, he just moved from location to location. <laughs> but yeah, he does it a lot. Well, as I don't know if we would know, sometimes they wear the same yeah, exactly. clothes over. Anyway, now it is night. Um, probably should have said this in the opener. <laughs> this episode is not going to be, you know, safe for work or safe for children. There are just some things that are important to the story that we're going to have to discuss that are not kid friendly and not work friendly. Probably yeah. they are very adult themed. So keep that in mind as we get into the next scene. It is night. Fred Madison puts away his saxophone. Patricia Arquette, who at this point is playing Renee Madison, his wife. She's there. She says that she plans to just stay home and read and says, you can wake me up when you return home. One thing that I do think is very interesting is often what she wears in the home is black. We now go to the Luna Lounge with the most intense super strobe light scene of all time. <laughs> Pretty much every game we play has that warning about flashing lights. This movie, yeah. this movie should have it. <laughs> and it's only this one scene, really. Yeah. I suppose some of the nightmare dream sequences could count. But boy, this scene, I, I, I looked away. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I love this scene because it's the direct opposite of who he is throughout the whole movie, pretty much. It's like, here's this jazz tenor saxophone player who's just absolutely mad and full of energy and creativity. But like before he talked, when he's talking to his wife, there's no range in his voice. He's just so boring. But then he goes to this place and he's just like, blah, you know, he's all over the place. And yeah, the strobe lights are going off. There's just like high energy, which again, flips over into the sex scene that comes next, which is the direct opposite. It is. Before that, though, he tries to call home, but he gets no answer. Yeah, so he knows she's not there. She's right. not reading a book. Now, I'm not going to go too much. I don't know if I will go into my interpretation of the colors, but Red is obviously a huge color. It's always it's a color always for Lynch. It's always a color, man. It's yeah. like, yeah. Red and those those, those like velvet curtains, mm -hmm. smoke, especially smoke going backwards. You could have a bingo list of stuff and just play a game watching any of his movies like Red Curtain, Drink. <laughs> you know, it's, I don't know what they mean, but yeah. But he is bathed in red light as he tries to call home. Right. Red rum. <laughs> well, I think part of the reason I'm not sure that I really want to get into it is I'm not really sure that Lynch has interpretation for it. I think that they are there. I think we could have the interpretation, but there's something about me that thinks because he uses these things so often that this is just the way he sees the world mm -hmm. and he's just recreating that. So I think you could add lots of interpretation. And I think that subconsciously he's probably putting some of these things together through color. But I don't know if they would all connect through color. Yeah, I don't think he's got like a checklist of stuff where, okay, I'm going to use the red curtains because that means that in this scene, you know. It's just, yeah, like you said, it's just, I think it's something that comes naturally to him. But it, it's so recurrent throughout all of his movies that we, the audience, start drawing lines between movies and, yeah, all these themes. I mean, call it what you will, but it's definitely a theme. Yeah, I mean, these things, they subconsciously or on purpose, they're there. I think they're there for a reason. I don't claim to know the answers for them. And I think part of it is just his stark use of color. It jumps out at you. It's so obvious at times that it's there. Yeah. And this is one of those. He's so completely bathed. The whole scene is so completely bathed in red that it has to be done on purpose. Yeah. We go to home. She sleeps. It fades to black. In the morning, <laughs> she's wearing these really tall high heels and a black silk robe with it looks like shoulder pads. This is what she wears for comfort. <laughs> yeah. She's going out to pick up the paper and she sees a blank manila envelope. She brings it inside. Inside is a videotape, which they are going to watch. On the video, all you see is a bit of their front door 
and a lot of static. Yeah, it's just the, front of the, the well, it's the whole front of their house. Yeah, and that's it. And then she says the dumbest thing, or he says the dumbest thing, like, "Oh, maybe it's from the real estate agent." Like, why would they leave an unmarked envelope showing ten seconds of footage of the front of your house on your doorstep? Well, I think that there is no logical reason for anybody <laughs> to do it. It's not necessary, but I think if he said nothing, that would be even weirder. Well, that's, I mean, that, but that would be normal, wouldn't it? Like, imagine if you found a tape outside your front door of someone videotaping your front door. You'd be like, and I said, what's this, Justin? You'd be like, I don't know. I'm freaked out. But they've got no reaction. Like, oh, it's just probably just a real estate agent. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'd be getting out of there, man. I'd be packing my bags. We now again fade to black, and they, well, he is in bed, and he's having images of the club and him playing music, and his wife walking off with a strange man, well, strange to us, we will find out is Andy. This is, yeah, so this is the scene where they are making love, but it's in, I think even at points, it's in literal slow motion. Right, yeah. At the end, she says, it's okay. Yeah, this whole scene is so awkward, man. It's very awkward, and I'm not exactly sure why she's saying it's okay. Was it too short? Could he not perform? We don't really know what's wrong yeah i mean I, I like this scene a lot because a sex scene in a movie is usually just very gratuitous you know i think he's he's underperforming or he's like premature or something like that he just can't do it or or yeah maybe he just he just can't go through with it kind of thing i get the feeling that he's in a relationship that he hates pretty much knows his wife is cheating on him and he's even dreaming about it so that probably interferes with his sex life too but I love everything, how there's no, obviously no words in the scene, but everything is done through action, good direction in this scene, because they capture everything really well. And so, like, her face, his face, they're not saying anything, but you can almost hear them thinking inside their minds. Now, like, your idea of what they're saying is probably different from my idea, but, but that doesn't matter, you know, because it's like, it's what we take out of the movie. I love the condescending little pat on the back that, he, she, that she gives him. I... Not sure that I interpret that the same way. Yeah, exactly. So I, for me, ideas. that was not so condescending as because that that but started kind of. I think during, he during thinks the, it is though. I think that pisses him off even more. Perhaps, but I think that the way she's touching him at that point is fairly loving. It's a clear choice that they chose the hand with the ring on it. Yeah, to show that kind of connection again. Very black nail polish here. <laughs> Yeah, I just I like this scene because it's just it's so more so much more than just like boobs and bums. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, I I guess the scene has meaning, and I think that that's that's the, the important yeah, thing. Definitely, the scene is long. It is not you know really holding back when it comes to say nudity, right? It's not doing the clever shooting of just their faces or backs or something like that. But this scene is long, I think, because it needs to show us that kind of uncomfortableness that happens at the end. Yeah. It really wouldn't work if we just cut straight to that. So I do agree. I think that this scene is quite good for what it is. And it needs to be here because it needs to show that things are not going well. Because we don't really know. Yeah, you could just be thinking like, oh, this is this kind of movie. Like these people just have weird personalities. Yeah. Yeah, especially with it being a David Lynch film. Yeah. <laughs> I think after that is the, oh no, yeah, the dream, the red curtains. Yes. So Madison speaks of the dream he had to his wife. She was in the house calling his name. There's a roaring fire. He couldn't find her. Renee is in bed, but I think he's like, I can't trust her. It's a whole weird dream where at the end, after he's explaining it to her, he looks over and there's a weird man's face. Yeah, man, I jumped. Superimposed <laughs> Again, over. I didn't know this was coming. Totally forgotten this part. It, it made me. It made me jump a bit. Now, this character, this man in the credits, is referred to as the mystery man. I didn't know that going through. So you'll often hear me refer to, possibly if I mistake it, as the nightmare man because that's what I wrote him down okay, as. Because yeah. the first time we see him is after he had this nightmare. He explained a nightmare, so it seemed fitting, but. Mystery Man, according to David Lynch. So right. I, I suppose we should try to adhere to that if I can remember. And another fade of black in the morning, another envelope. This time, though, the video shows video going from outside to inside the house to watching them sleep. This finally is enough to creep them out. Mm. 
and they call the police. So the police come over, and they're asking all sorts of interesting David Lynch-style questions. One of them, one that I really want to get to, is they're looking for cameras. Maybe you have cameras here that they're tapping into or something. Do you have any cameras? And Fred says, no, I don't like video cameras. And like, why? And he says, because I like to remember things the way I remember them. I think this is not only a key element as I was watching through this time, because it just stuck out so clearly that obviously this has something to do with memory. But then in that interview I saw, Lynch also said something very similar about himself, that he feels kind of that way, that he likes to remember things the way he remembers them, that reality is not the same as video. And when you compare a video of the actual events with your memory, they're often not going to be the same. And he finds that dissonance, I believe, uncomfortable. Yeah, because he says, uh, what is it? He says, I like to remember things the way that they have. No, no, I like to remember them how, how, I, how, see I, them. how I see them, not necessarily the way that they happened. Yeah. They also ask about a security system. They say they have one, but they don't use it because it went off all the time. <laughs> when I heard that, it's, it's so, it's quite funny that because my parents did exactly the same thing and then they got robbed. <laughs> and so now it's never off. But yeah, it's like, oh, I kept going off. It's like, that's, the, that's what it's supposed to do. <laughs> like, but I think the problem is when you first get it, if there's a lot of false alarms, if it's a neighborhood cat, cat or something. Or yeah, yeah. There's a point where Fred is looking out at Renee as she's talking to one of the cops. He looks as though he feels suspicious, but we're not really given much to go on with that. We also hear a cop walking around on the roof and Fred looks up at him. But I don't know. This to me, feels like red herrings. It's just, this is Lynch, man. This is like just a Lynch thing, I think. Okay. <laughs> we now cut to a house stroke pool party that's going on at, I guess it's Andy's place. Renee is with Andy, who is, as I said before, the man from Fred's vision. The <laughs> mystery man is going to appear, go straight to Fred, and basically, they're going to have one of the weirdest conversations in all of cinema. Yeah, start up a really creepy conversation that has haunted me ever since 1997. I did not forget this scene at all. I was, I was waiting for it to come because this is such a cool scene. So the mystery man, to describe him, he has a very round face. Very white face. Yes, powdery white. Talk, yeah. And other makeup, like dark eye makeup, which makes it stand out even more how pale he is. Fred's going to say, where did we meet? Oh, we met at your house. Don't remember. You invited me. And there's this whole bit where he says, in fact, I'm there now. <laughs> and Fred's like, what are you talking about? Hands him the 1997 version of a cell phone. Yeah. And says, well, call home. Calls home. And the mystery man there is to answer. Yeah. And how did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> so the mystery man is in two places at the same time. At least that's the way it appears. Fred is going to ask Andy about the man. And he says, oh, he's a friend of uh, Dick Laurent. And Fred says, uh, isn't he dead? And I think Andy's like, oh, do you know him? I don't I don't think he's dead. Right? Well, no, he says, how did you know that at first? Right. Because he's really spooked by this. Because he's like, this isn't information that anyone should know. But then when Patricia Arquette comes over, she's like, who are you talking about? He's like, oh, I don't really know him. And he's like, oh, he's not dead. You know, he kind of brushes it off. Like, he's not dead. Uh, that's just nonsense it's i got i got the feeling that he knew about this but it was very kind of early days kind of thing like it's like maybe just a rumor see i got that impression but then the rest of the movie makes me think otherwise well gotta wait to the end for my theory okay <laughs> in the car driving fred is going to ask about andy and this becomes important because we're going to hear the same backstory twice renee talks about how she met him in a diner he talked about some sort of job for her and then she kind of vaguely ends the story yeah, with that. I don't remember what job it was. Like. <laughs> they get home. There's a flashlight, obviously, in one of the upstairs windows. Fred goes in to check it out. The phone rings, but he doesn't answer. He starts staring at himself in the mirror. Yeah, he goes down that long kind of black corridor and then goes to a mirror at the end and just stares at himself for five minutes. Renee looks for him. We see two shadows walking across the wall. There's the argument about why did you make me wait in the car, but that's not really important. No. New day, new tape. Fred sees himself in a bloody scene of Renee. I think there's a leg on the bed, yeah. and he's screaming, and no fade to black. Yeah, just 
directly punched in the face face by the cop. And Fred wants to be told he didn't kill her. He's very confused by everything that's happened. Yeah. I completely forgot this prison part. I didn't remember any of this. And this may be why I've got a completely different take on the movie now. Because I was like, does this turn into like the Shawshank Redemption? The Green Mile or something like that? Like, when did he go to prison? I I do not remember that. It's very interesting that you say you didn't. I don't know. You said that you remembered Rollins being in the movie, but how do you remember Rollins being in the movie if you don't remember the prison? It's the only scene he's Yeah, in. yeah, exactly, exactly. And then I was like, oh, oh, here's Henry Rollins. I was like, oh, there he is. Okay. And, funnily enough, the other guard is, well, one of, because there's like four guards. I can't remember exactly the one who, I don't, I don't know his name, but I was like, that's the, that's the landlord from The Big Lebowski. Do you know who I'm talking about? The one that does like the, the little dance with the tutu is like, come to my recital, you know? Dude, just slip, slip the money under my, slip the rent under my door. He's in this. Because <laughs> I even, I, I got up on IMDb later and it's like, yes, it is him. But yeah, so, uh, but yeah, I completely blanked on this whole part of the movie. Fred is going to be escorted down the stairs while we have a voiceover from the judge saying that he's guilty and he's going to be executed by electrocution. Yep. He's put in a cell. We have a great visual here of looking down on him from over top, making him look small and also trapped because of the bars over top of the cell. Then comes one of the weirdest sections. Fred's going to look at the light and he has a kind of horror image flash and then it fades to black and then he's in the prison yard. Fred collapses saying he's got like a headache or something and we're going to fade to black. We're going to see the doctor who shoves him full of pills because he can't sleep. And then we go to his cell. He's screaming and he basically asks the guard for aspirin. The guards have a nasty joke about him. And then we're going to get another vision. This vision has a house on stilts in the desert. Reverse. (laughs) Yeah. Smoke going into the building, fire going back and the building being fine after with the mystery man walking out. We fade to black. The guard brings his captain in, and in the cell, Fred is a different person. Fred is now Pete. Yeah. (laughs) With no explanation, but since he's not supposed to be here, they let Peter go. Yeah, and Gary Busey is Pete's dad. (laughs) Yes, yeah. (laughs) He does have a very bashed forehead, which we've never quite put together. I'm assuming that that's in your theory somewhere. I don't have any idea about that, actually. I mean, there's one... Someone receives a similar... Injury? Injury. Okay. This is where the movie, as I said, gets weird because it's totally transitioned over. (laughs) Yeah, it's completely 180'd on itself. Fred disappears from the story for a long time, and we now need to follow Pete, and we need to figure out who he is. It's almost two movies that have been shoved together, but I think that that is done on purpose. I think that that is a huge part of the theme of what's going on here. We find out that he's been arrested for auto theft a year ago. He's on probation, but he's fine. Gary Busey, as his father and his mother, come in to take him home. Pete is sitting in the back. He kind of looks over the neighbor's fence. There's a dog there and a sailboat and a ball in what looks like a kiddie pool. Lynch. Friends come over to take him out. Oh, yeah. Giovanni Ribisi. in this as well, yeah. (laughs) They go bowling. And at this bowling alley, is it the same place where they also have dancing? I uh, can't remember now. <laughs> it appears to me, it just seems to me that they are one in the same, as though this is a bowling alley that also has a dance hall of some sort. Maybe it does. This is where one of my favorite songs from the film, I, by Smashing Pumpkins, this plays as they dance. He and his girlfriend, Sheila, and he he's asked what's going on. She's very concerned, but Pete says, I don't know. He doesn't understand what happened that night. Yeah, she keeps on saying, you're different, you're different, you've changed or something like that, doesn't she? I don't think that that really happens here. Not at this moment, but that comes up quite a lot. At work, Pete is a mechanic. He works for Arnie, played by Richard Pryor. And Arnie greets Pete very warmly and lets Mr. Eddie know that he's in because Mr. Eddie trusts Pete very much with his car. Not with his women, though. Yeah, well, with good reason. (laughs) Mr. Eddie, played by Robert Loggia, will appear. He's going to take Pete away so that Pete can listen to the car and fix it by the side of the road. There's just two tiny little things he needs to adjust. (laughs) And then he's fine. 
But Mr. Eddie is obviously rich and powerful. And he says, hey, Pete, why don't we just go for a ride? And Pete says, sure. Which obviously was a mistake. Yeah. We're going to see a very interesting scene of a man trying to tailgate Mr. Eddie. And as he finally passes him, flipping him off. Wrong thing to do. <laughs> I love how the two bodyguards, as soon as they see that, they just like, don't, they don't say a word. They just buckle up. <laughs> yeah. He basically rams the car off the road. Yeah. They all walk out with their guns. And Eddie has a big gun. <laughs> yes. And he beats up the guy while lecturing him about the dangers of tailgating, which I think he's already proven the danger of tailgating <laughs> by ramming his car in, in the back. But yeah, that's the weird little scene. One thing that I can't stand is tailgating. <laughs> get a driver's manual. <laughs> Promise me you'll get a driver's manual. Yeah. Back at the garage, Eddie gives money to Pete. He also offers him a porno. <laughs> Which he declines. Yeah. <laughs> we get a view of the cops who are following Pete around because of, obviously, the weird situation. It makes sense that the cops would kind of want to keep an eye on him. And one of the cops says that Mr. Eddie is actually Laurent. Yeah. So we know that they are meant to be one and the same. At Pete's home, in the dark, Pete is now the one looking in a mirror weirdly. He takes his girlfriend Sheila out for a late night drive. Cops follow. Sex happens. Fade to black. Back at work. Playing on the radio is Fred's club music. The wild, crazy music which Pete turns off and his co-worker is unhappy about it. I like that. <laughs> I'm like, really? Really? Well, it's not exactly relaxing music. Did you let that one just play through when you were listening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah? okay. <laughs> I thought that might be one that you would actually kind of... Skip it. Skip? Nah. Yeah. I like a bit of jazz. But Dave Holland. Mr. Eddie shows up with his caddy as he promised he was going to. Patricia Erka is again in the... Well, we see her again. But she now has blonde hair. And she is now meant to be playing, as far as we know, a different character. So this character is called Alice Wakefield. Different hair color, different everything, different fashion, yeah. Obviously, Pete is mesmerized by her. Mm -hmm. but is very hesitant when she comes back to have anything to do with her because obviously Mr. Eddie is a very dangerous man, which has been proven by the driving and the huge gun. Yeah. She's very persistent, but he he seems like he's going to let her go and then he obviously doesn't. Yeah. She's like, oh, she's like, oh come on, take me out for dinner. No, no, that's a bad idea. Okay, I'll take you out for dinner. No, no, that's a bad idea. Okay, I'm going to call a cab. Okay, phone's over there. Okay, I'm calling a cab. Oh, actually... What, what's the number for the cab? Oh, yeah, what's the number for the cab? Yeah. yeah. And he takes the phone off. He's like, oh, she won't be needing it. And, yeah, I mean, things move very, very quickly for them. They skip dinner. Yes, they do. And get right to action at the motel. Then there's another night in a different motel where she takes him inside. We see him at home. There's a storm. There are lots of storms, but they, I don't know that they always really are timed in a way that makes sense. I think it's much more a visual thing that Lynch wanted to have here. She calls. She can't go to meet Pete because she has to go out with Mr. Eddie, who she thinks suspects something. And alone in a room, he has visions of Alice, and he's real close-ups on spider on the wall, bugs in the light. He still goes to a motel, but this time with Sheila. Yeah. And this one feels kind of angry. Yeah. We go back to, there's a lot of cutting here, right? So there's back to home. His parents want to have a talk with Pete, something serious. Pete is talking about having a headache. So again, this this ties into the Fred and the headache thing. And he's having trouble sleeping. At least I think I'm getting that impression. Yeah. They say the police called. Pete has no memory of that night. And the parents kind of keep talking around it with actually not saying anything yeah, in a very frustrating way. I don't think we ever get to know the answer to that. They do say that he came back that night, I think, with Sheila and a man they didn't know. He gets a bit of a horror vision. And then we cut again. Back at work, Mr. Eddie arrives and <laughs> out of nowhere seems to tell Pete that he'd kill anyone who messes with Alice. Yes, yeah, I like, whoops. <laughs> we have another phone ring. Alice sets up a rendezvous. She's scared that Eddie will kill them. She wants to run away together with Pete, and she basically wants to rob somebody who pays girls to party. We're going to find out that that person is Andy. We also 
find out that he makes pornos for Eddie. So the tape that Eddie had was probably him. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, well, it was something that was made for him. It wasn't necessarily, you know, a professional deal. He asks Alice, how did you get into this? And so we get this story that starts out pretty much exactly the way that Renee's story started out. Yeah, it is exactly. It's the same cafe, it's the same guy, it's the same everything, yeah. But in this one, we find out what the job actually was. The job was basically going and having sex with Mr. Eddie. She, at gunpoint, is basically made to strip and to take care of him. Yep. And we don't get a lot of that afterwards, I think, because it's not important. It is an interesting transition, though, because at this point, Mr. Eddie's face, as she's going to touch it, they cut to her hand touching Pete's face. She offers to go away, I think somewhat weakly, but Pete says that he loves her, and they set up to rob Andy. Pete agrees. Silly Pete. We're at home. She oh, oh, sorry, yeah. sorry. I think by this point as well, though, I feel as well that he doesn't have a lot of options, because... He's kind of been putting it off, nah, whatever, whatever, whatever. But now it's like, well, Eddie's probably going to kill me. This is maybe my best shot. Yeah, rob this guy, get some money and get the hell out of here. It's like, I feel that he feels that his back is against the wall now. And he's got no other choice but to rob this guy. Perhaps. I think it's more about her. Uh, and, and her. Yeah, of course. But I think, really, she is the only real reason. Yes, logically it makes sense. But he doesn't really talk about that. Nor does he ever crack around Mr. Eddie, nor do we get shots of him worried or pacing or thinking about those kinds of things. It's all about her for me, right. the, the way that it is presented. But we get back to home. Sheila's out in the yard. We'd seen a flash of this before, I think from Fred's point of view. Mm -hmm. She's confronting Pete about infidelity and says Pete is different now. And she's saying this over and over again. She pleads with the father to basically say the same thing. He doesn't support her. So she runs off. The mother comes out, says there's a man on the phone. We find out it's Mr. Eddie. And he puts the mystery man on the phone. Yeah. He speaks of the Far East and how people to be executed are locked away and they just never know when the execution will actually happen. It's a very weird conversation from, well, the most unusual character in the entire movie. Yeah. But it doesn't make a lot of sense because Fred is on death row and... He's going to be executed very soon. We get to the robbery at Andy's. Pete follows instructions, so he's taking a bus to get there. He climbs over the fence. He sees when he walks in on the screen is a porno of the woman he loves. And he's shocked and seems to have a bit of difficulty knowing what to do. Rammstein plays here. <laughs> Interestingly, using the... I don't know. I just feel like... They wouldn't use the lyrics at this point, but they wanted this. It almost sounds like a, a chant, almost like a magical chant. Yeah, you yeah. know, when I suppose when you don't speak the language, it sounds a bit different. He hits Andy with a statue, but Andy is actually alive. He's going to get up trying to attack. And then this part is not very clear. He appears to just fall onto the table. Well, I know he, he runs at Peter. He does. And then Pete kind of like gets out of the way and then maybe throws him off his balance. And then he. Yeah, see, it's the maybe part that makes me go, well, I don't know if Pete actually did it or if Andy just fell. I mean, it's definitely an accident. I don't think Pete like. Meant to shove him into the shoved table. Shoved his forehead into the edge of a coffee table. But I was waiting the whole movie for this scene. And it got to the point where I was like, was this in No Holland Drive? Because I, I, I was waiting for it, waiting for it, waiting for it. I thought it happened way earlier. And waiting for this coffee table scene. And then, oh, there, oh, there it is. There it is. Right, okay. Um, It was this movie. I remember seeing that for the first time and everyone in the room just went, ooh. <laughs> Pete says, we killed him. Alice says, you killed, you killed him. him. Yeah. Thanks, Alice. Yeah. This is the point where we get to see Alice's kind of true colors now. She starts taking Andy's jewelry yeah. off of his bloody body like there aren't... I don't know. This doesn't seem like the most money value stuff in the house. Yeah, exactly. She starts collecting a bunch of stuff. Pete's vision goes a bit fuzzy. He sees a picture of Mr. Eddie. It's him, Andy, and both of the Arquette oh. characters. Yeah. We've got Renee and Alice together. Pete's nose starts to bleed a lot. And the distorted vision gets a bit worse. He heads upstairs towards the bathroom, but all the doors turn into motel room doors. He opens one, 
sees what looks like Alice inside. And then we're back on the ground floor. Alice pulls the gun on Pete, asks, don't you trust me? Which obviously at this point he should not. And then she says to stick the gun in his pants. Now they're going to drive off in Andy's car, which is a red car, unlike Fred's black car. Her fence, who they need to sell all the stuff to, lives in this cabin in the desert. And we're going to see that this is the cabin we've been getting the the fire reverse shot of. This is the mystery man cabin. In the cabin, for our colors, we have pretty much nothing except beat up red chair and a green couch, which looks like it's wrapped in plastic. Yeah, I don't know what that was about. Yeah, the shrink wrapped couch. The man isn't there, so they have to wait. So they start kissing and more outside in the headlights. He says over and over, I want you, which seems weird because right at the moment he has her. But she says, you'll never have me. She walks off into the cabin. He's lying there naked and vulnerable, stands up, and is now Fred. Yep. So Fred is now back. Pete has now disappeared again from the movie. When he goes in, she's not there, but the mystery man is. Fred asks about Alice. The man says she is Renee. There never was an Alice. If she said it was Alice, she's lying. The mystery man starts recording Fred with his huge video camera. And Fred drives off in the car, seemingly alone. Mm-hmm. Okay. There, again, headlights on the road. We've had this multiple times, yeah. beginning and end. We see outside the Lost Highway Motel. Renee is with Eddie. She kisses the sleeping Eddie and leaves. Fred enters the room, beats up Eddie, he puts him in the trunk of the car, and the whole time, Mystery Man is watching. Out in the desert, Eddie attacks Frank once the trunk is open. Fred looks over, and a knife is handed to him. I love that, because like, he's like looking for a rock or something to bash him, and then just all of a sudden this guy just puts a knife into his hand. You just see a hand, yeah. but it's very obvious it must be the Mystery Man because he's there. Yeah. He cuts Eddie... I, I first did put he kills him, but no. obviously not. There's a whole long scene that still has to happen. Eddie asks, what do you guys want? Which is very jarring because at this point we've only seen Fred. But the mystery man is here and he pulls out this small portable TV with a huge antenna. And he shows it to Eddie who's watching. And it's basically some of the porn stuff from before. Except this one is kind of worse. This is while a house party is watching. He and Renee are up to something. (laughs) In the movie, it's Marilyn Manson and some women. And then it appears that Marilyn Manson dies. Yeah. It's it's very weird. So I don't know if they're trying to suggest that... It's a snuff movie or something like that. Is there something even worse to what they were doing? Possibly. Yeah. And the house full of guests that are all dressed up and watching mm-hmm. this, I guess, this premiere of this movie. Right. But it's going to end with looking at what is happening now. You look at the screen and you see the two men standing in front of the car. Eddie says something about you and me, mister. We can out ugly the others. I, I wasn't quite sure what he was trying to say there, but the mystery man shoots Eddie dead. Hmm. Didn't see that one coming. I was expecting Fred to. Yeah. The mystery man will whisper in Fred's ear, and then he's gone. The cops are at Andy's house going over the crime scene. They see the picture, but the picture only has one Renee, no Alice. Yeah. Fred is at his home. This is where the beginning comes into play. He pushes all the buttons. He says Dick Laurent is dead, and then he runs as the cops chase him. We're going to see his face go through a weird, almost transformation. And then we cut to the headlights on the road, Bowie singing again, circular story, sort of, and this is where theory comes in. Mm -hmm. So, do you want me to go first or you to go first? Go for it. Yep. Actually, I think you should go first. Why? Because I'm basing some of what I'm saying off of what Lynch said, so that's a bit unfair. Okay. Yeah, so plot-wise... The movie was a lot clearer my second time, probably because I... You know how you get that thing where you're like, oh, man, I wish you could forget that movie and watch it all over again? I, well, we basically <laughs> have done that. Did, yeah. Yeah. And so I watched it, and the, yeah, the first time I was like, oh, it's this, it's this loop of reality, and like, yeah, he becomes this other person. I think basically what happens is everything happens in the movie is almost real, as, as real as you can get with a Lynch movie, right up until the switchover where Fred becomes Pete. I think from that moment on, Again, everything's in his mind, and the whole movie. Is Wait, so at what point does it change over? 
when Pete comes into this situation. Like when Pete is in the jail cell, that's not real, I don't think. The whole movie from then on is just Fred dealing with having murdered his wife and switching off a compartment of his brain and just living out some kind of fantasy. So in this fantasy, he gets to have sex properly and he's like in control, whereas before we saw obviously that he wasn't. It's not power fantasy, but it's this sexual kind of fantasy where he's younger, more handsome, better in bed. Yeah, and so this is where he goes to live in his head. But at the same time, he still wants his wife back and he invents this Alice character. But in the end, he still can't have her. I think the mystery man is just his dark conscience. I think the part in the beginning of the movie where he walks down that dark corridor, looks at himself in the mirror and comes back, you can see his face is a changed character already. Um, and this is just before the murder happens. And so that end part is very important because if you watch it again, and maybe it's because, I don't know, because I do remember that scene where he's like doing like shaking his head and it's all blurry and stuff. And I remember that thinking, oh, that's like the melding of the two personalities or the two completely different people together or whatever parallel universe stuff you want to get into. But if you actually, maybe because it was on a rubbish VHS on a CRT TV, but now watching it again, it's like, no, you can see it. It's like that. I think that's the moment where he gets executed because you can see smoke, his face is melting and you see like smoke coming off the side of his face. I think finally... So he's been worried about being executed and the mystery man even talks about you never know what's going to happen. Like they're just going to come up and execute you. And it's like, that's it. So he gets to that point and then the end of the movie is him actually at the end of his life, he gets the chair. And I've actually got something from Lynch to back that up as well because David Lynch in an interview said he was obsessed with O.J. Simpson. And That's what I was going to bring up. Yeah. Right. And so he said that, how does someone deal with having murdered his wife? Because he makes no bones about it. He's like, the dude killed his wife. He got, and in fact, he killed two people and got away with it both times. I think from that, I think that's, I think that's what this movie is about. I think it's like, how do you murder someone and then switch that off? Which is interesting because I watched the interview after I had watched it this time. But even watching it this time, I got that impression. But I still have difficulty dealing with that ending where he basically talks to himself. That doesn't work in any sort of timeline. Sorry, which part? When he talks to himself, we where i don't remember that bit with the buzzer and the intercom oh right you mean yeah sorry, sorry from the beginning of the movie yeah yeah which is also the end of the movie right which creates the cycle yeah but it doesn't work because time has progressed so you in no way does he go back in time the cops are still chasing him for what he did later in the movie so there's no reason why he would go back but also at that point though the reason that i that part is a fantasy that the intercom pit yeah, if you make it a fantasy, then all of it works. It doesn't works. happen. Because anyway, when he goes to the window, if, if it is real, when he goes to the window, there's no chase scene, there's no cop cars, there's no black Mercedes, there's nothing. He goes to the window, there's not even a noise. I, I went back to the beginning to see, can you even hear a police siren? Maybe in the background, there's nothing. It's complete silence. So that dick is dead kind of bit, I don't think it happened. Okay. I mean, if you're going to go from that standpoint, if you make it all a fantasy, it, it works then. It feels... It feels a little bit of a cop-out, though. I don't want to think that half of the movie happened only inside his head. And if it does, then we're also missing out on what was happening to him in reality. Well, lots of headaches. <laughs> Nosebleeds. This is where, for me, I think what would have worked well, if that was the way it was going to be, would be to show him in the chair at the end. Sure. Yeah, but then you wouldn't have people like me and you saying like, oh, it's a loop, you know, because it does. And then it leaves it open to interpretation a little bit more. And I, I was convinced it was a time loop, man. I, I was like, yeah, this is like not time travel, but yeah, I was like, this is... There's some is way it. that this connects. Yeah, and I still the, want it to. Because the road, the never-ending road through the blackness, and it loops the whole way around to him escaping the cops onto that never-ending road, which takes it to the beginning of the movie again. Yeah, it was in my head like... But now watching it again, I'm like, ah, okay. I think this is just like a a mental breakdown movie. It could be. I think for me, there's still a reason for that circle, though. And I, I guess every time I watch it or think about it, that's probably what I'm going to be obsessed with more than anything is why is that there and why does that work? And does it make sense or did Lynch just kind of throw it in there to confuse us? Uh, yeah. I mean, like I said, I think that O.J. Simpson quote kind of is definitely a big hint. Yeah, and I definitely think the sort of dual sides of the personality and the compartmentalizing. But then what would you say about the mystery man? I think that's just his dark conscience or his, his evil self kind of thing. 
Because that's the whole point. It's like, he says, I met you in your house. Don't you remember? Like, nope. It's like, you know, what was, what you, you said it before. It's like, you met me when you thought of me or something like that. It was like, the quote was, brought, you brought me there. You invited you me. You invited me. Exactly. So it's like, he's inviting these dark thoughts about murdering his wife. Oh, that's what I was going to talk about. That's <laughs> why I was giving you that look. Why did you put your notebook away? <laughs> Um, right, so get this, right? This is insane. Well, it's not insane. It's, uh, it's hyperbole right there. But Okay, so mystery, now we're on the, on the subject of mystery man, Robert Blake. Yes. Who is very famous for Westerns, apparently. Yeah, but in 2001, he was acquitted of murdering his wife, right? Did you read this thing? No. Right, so in 2001, he was acquitted of murdering his wife. She was shot in a restaurant car park while he was going back inside to get his gun. <laughs> He'd left a gun behind in the restaurant. As he went inside to get his gun, she was then fatally shot in the car park. And so he was acquitted of the murder. But then much later on, kind of new evidence came and they got, they got more people in. It's still an unsolved murder, but he did get done for like something to do with causing her death. It sounds like he ordered a hit on her. And it was done by, I don't know if it was a stunt double for him, which would be really insane, but it was a, st- a, a stunt man. And then, so he didn't go to jail, but he got, he had to pay $30 million to the children. Uh, the woman's name was uh, Bonnie Lee Bakley. She has a very interesting history. Another just weird comparison is, so he met her in 1999 at a jazz club, which again ties into this movie. And she was also a bit of a black widow slash kind of con artist herself. She'd been married before, well, by the time she was murdered, she'd been married 10 times. Her first one was to a guy needing a green card who she then divorced and then he got deported anyway. So she took his money basically to get married and then she uh, divorced him and she would run. And again, tying into this, but this all happened after. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. So she ran like a mail order nudes kind of service. She did some scams through like Lonely Hearts ads and stuff like that. Very, very weird. 10 times married and he hated her. She, uh, he wanted rid of her. A lot of people testified to that. And yeah, it looks like he had her murdered. So, uh, <laughs> bit of a prophecy? I don't know. Like, that's weird, man. That is weird. Um, yeah, he's not dead either. He was born in like, he's, he must be, he's about 90 years old now. I think he was born, when I checked him on IMDb, he's like, yeah, 1933 or something like that. He's, a, he's. Well, he was in, like I said, Westerns. Like, we're talking old school Westerns. Right. Yeah. Right, but yeah, not not a good man. If you did enjoy this movie, <laughs> if you did enjoy this movie and you like David Lynch, one thing that I would suggest you might want to check out is David Lynch's YouTube channel, where he does a mostly daily report on the weather and a weekly review of some of the stuff he's up to. But what's more interesting for me is the fact that he has put up some of his short films there, which are... Very unusual, but some of them, I think, are even animated by him. He's a very creative, very yeah. different person, and his visuals are always quite interesting. So it's definitely worth checking out. Dieterk, Spag, Rome, Raw, Cliff, Spag. You know I can just reverse the audio. I do, but I want to try it. <laughs> you want to do it? You want to do it the David Lynch way? Exactly. I got that tutorial from that dude on the internet. So.